Good morning again, church family. I uh, was bribing the teens before I got up here. They wanted those gummy worms, and I said, if you promise to listen to my so glad everybody's here. What a great day it is today. So many great things happening. So a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a group of guy friends. It was late on a family retreat. A bunch of us guys were staying up because we had no sense or wisdom about us. But it was one of those conversations that you rarely hear. One of those conversations that's full of growth and truth. And we were asking each other deep questions. And it was such sharing and accountability happening. And during that conversation, one of the guys asked this. Looked at everybody and he said, what truth has changed you and transformed you more than anything else to look like Jesus? And nobody could really answer. Probably like, if you're listening this morning, you hear that question and you got to go, i got to think about it. I can't remember what I answered that night, but I remember sitting there having to think for just a moment. I was stumped. And while I can't remember exactly what I shared that night, I want to share my answer to that question now. What truth, and I'm going to share two truths with you, with you this morning, that have changed and shaped me maybe more than anything else. And the reason I want to share them with you today is I believe these truths are not just personal for me. I believe they're truths that are community. That they're for the church. And the first one's this. First truth I want to share with you as we get started this morning is this. God wants all of you. Our Lord is not interested in part-time devotion, halfway Christianity, lukewarm faith as we call it. God, when He calls us, calls us all. As as they say, is that when a man is called by God, he is called to come and die. Ours is the path of wholeness, holistic faith, of complete faith. And when we hide parts of it, God is at work taking all of it. And God is not just interested in those parts that are presentable of our life. The things in the facades that we put out there and the good things, the places that we put on our Instagram, the highlights of our life. God is interested in all of it, the unpresentable as well. That has shaped me and wrecked me and broken me over and over and may it be so again. The fact that God wants my hurts and he wants my shame and he even wants the things about me that I would be embarrassed. God wants it all. And I believe that the work of God begins when I let go of the show and just begin to be honest. And the second truth that I think has shaped me more than anything else is this, is that the God of the Bible is the God of the day. Now that one was a surprise to me as I thought about that question. But there was a time, and I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but there was a time when I read the Bible and I heard the things of God and I thought, well, that was cool for God to be a miracle worker and a life changer and to use people like that. And I would hear all those things and I would put them in a little box that was titled, What God Used to Do. Anybody have one of those boxes? But I have come to discover, and it hasn't been recently, but I come to discover and rediscover that God is God, then, now, and always. And because He is the God of then, now, and always, I am not in charge of limiting what He can and cannot do. 
Jake Perkins is not on that committee. There is only one on that committee, and it is that I am the great himself alone. And those two truths also carry with it something else. That if I'm going to give all of myself to God, and I'm going to be a person who is submitted to allowing God to do whatever he wants in me, because the God of the past is the God of today, there's another truth that kind of trails along and is tied to those two truths, and that is the truth that I cannot make that happen. Those things do not become a reality. Letting God shape me and change me and transform me requires an inside-out change. It requires something outside of me to come inside of me to work again out of me. It requires a different viewpoint, a different power, a different source that I can provide on my own. It requires Holy And that's what we have meant when we have said in this series that we are looking for an inside-out change. And this morning, what we're going to get into in this inside-out series as we wrap it up next week is Matthew chapter 7. The last two major sections of Jesus' most famous of sermons. A sermon that for the Christian is our constitution, our manifesto, our way of life, our Christian ethic. It is Jesus' depiction of the kingdom life. The handbook of discipleship, as Dallas Willard calls it, he said it is called the curriculum of Christ likeness. It is the Sermon on the Mount. But it requires something altogether different. And today, as we look at this sermon one more time, and then again next week, it's going to challenge us by a familiar passage that we call the Golden Rule. But what we're going to call it is we need inside-out change to live golden rule. Ruled by the golden rule. If you'll join me in prayer one more time, I have no business preaching this sermon. Because I'm here. And I want to pray for God's word, for his goodness to be shown to us. In spite of the messenger this morning, let's pray. Well, Lord, how I have failed at these words that we're about to hear. And I know I'm not alone. So God, I pray that you will have your way, that you will have all of us. And that you will do your work in us, in spite of us coming in here and putting on a face and faking it for a while. In spite of our hearts that are sometimes hard, in spite of those little corners and nooks and crannies of our life that we have not let you take hold of yet. Please be your teacher, Lord. I pray that for all of us. I pray that for myself. I pray that on behalf of everybody who's hesitant to pray that and is accepting it. just kind of let us know what we need to know to walk out of here doing what we need to do. In your son's name we pray. So here's what Jesus said. Being inside out, he says this. This is Matthew 7, 1-12. Do not 
judge. For you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you? If your son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Now I caution you against hearing these as independent moral teachings by Jesus. As if we have a judging section, and then we have a weird section about pearls and pigs and dogs, and then we have an ask and seek section, and then Jesus finally gets down to the golden rule. Instead of these being independent, moralistic teachings, what Jesus is actually doing here is he's showing a holistic way of living an inside-out Christian life. All 12 verses work together that fit into the sermon and will continue next week in verses 13 through 27, where Jesus is showing us how to exist in relationship with those around us and with the God who made us. And it ends up with this summation statement that we call the golden rule. But I think, and if you were paying attention, what is the greatest about this whole section is that it seems like what Jesus is doing when he tells us not to judge and not to put our wisdom in places where it can get trampled on, and when he tells us to ask a good father, what he's doing is he is knowing and speaking to us in terms of he knows we're going to get this one wrong. Amen? This is a section because it's not only lovable because it's practical, but it's lovable by Jesus because it's honest. Jesus knows we are going to screw this one up. We're going to mess up. He says don't judge because he knows what we are capable of doing in judging others. It won't be long, right? Perhaps today, perhaps right now, perhaps already this morning, perhaps tomorrow, you will make a call. You will separate. You will judge. You will demean. It might happen at Walmart when getting groceries later this afternoon. It might be down at Lowe's. It might be somewhere. Somebody's going to annoy you. Perhaps it might be, for instance, that this has maybe never happened to anybody here. You're at a restaurant, say in Amarillo. And a family comes in who sits down at the table next to you. And they just happen to be wearing Childress Bobcat. 
right? We don't like the color blue. Not here in Canadian. But you see, hey, they're from the Panhandle. So you give them that old Panhandle Christian wave as they sit down, just a kind of a head nod or a little gesture of a hand. And those bobcats don't return the wave. Right? And you know how it goes, right? So you begin to think. They don't return the nice gesture. What is their Typical. That's so typical of bobcats. Who do they think they are? Look at them interacting. They're not even interacting. I bet they don't even get along. I bet that mom and dad hate each other. <laughs> <sighs> Probably have anger issues. Look at those kids on their phones. They're not disciplined like wildcats. I imagine they think they're better. What are they doing here on a Sunday? Shouldn't they be in church? Wait, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know how that goes, right? We go on and on. And this, is, I think, is what Jesus is letting us in on on Matthew 7 as he's going, I know you wrestle with this. Jesus knows we're not perfect. He knows we're not only going to have a hard time not passing judgment, but he also knows that we're going to have a hard time with accountability and hypocrisy and dealing with our own sin. So he gives us a section about taking a plank out of our own eye before we try to help anybody else. He knows that we're going to take the gifts of wisdom and God's word, which is called a pearl, and we're going to cast it before those who can't accept it. If you have ever tried to share on social media, you know what it means to cast your pearls before swine. We're going to get caught up in endless debates. We're going to ask and seek and knock at all the wrong doors. And probably most of all, most of all, church family, Jesus knows we're going to love the golden rule, but we're not going to like living it. We're going to have it memorized at a young age, but we're going to struggle for the rest of our life with treating others how we actually want to be treated. Jesus knows. And so this section of Scripture is His grace-filled response to kingdom subjects to say, I want to give you a way of change. A narrow way for sure, but an inside-out way of change so that you can live golden rule. And as followers of Jesus, it should be our one desire to live this way. Because Jesus' way is the way. It is the truth. It is the life. And so first, this morning, I wanted to say, let's do this. And let's get into this. And if we're going to get into this and live golden rule, it starts right here. When Jesus tells us to judge not lest ye be judged, as the old KJV used to say, He is telling us, first of all, you need to know the difference between discernment and judgment. This has to be, judge not, or you too will be judged, has to be one of the most well-known passages of Scripture anywhere in the world. It's probably one of the most quoted verses of the Bible, while at the same time being one of the least understood. 
Judgment is not discernment. Discernment is not judgment. But our world and the way we use the word is starting to take away that meaning. In English, just as Greek has as well, the word that Jesus uses in Greek has two meanings for judgment. One that can mean discernment, like I judged this car to be in better shape than that car. That's a discernment call. You weren't judging the other car, right? You're sitting in my car now, right? That's not what's going on. That's a discernment call. And there's nothing wrong with discernment. Later on in this message of Jesus, starting in verse 15 of chapter 7, Jesus is going to tell us to discern between the fruit of true and false teaching. And you'll know that by the fruit of their lives. But the second meaning of judgment in the Greek is what he is warning. And that meaning means what I think most pointedly says when we judge, the Greek word means you separate. You categorize. You scale better or worse. You take things and say this is worthy and that is now unworthy. And that is what Jesus is warning against. He is saying don't separate or you too will be separated. Don't categorize or you'll find yourself being categorized. I can discern between apples and oranges, meaning I know the difference. But it doesn't mean that apples are somehow inferior to oranges. I can discern if I or someone else I love is participating in something harmful and sinful. That's a discernment. But judgment is when I put my place or put myself in a place of superiority, somehow immune from what they are struggling I can discern someone's choosing to stay in a horrible and harmful habit, but that does not mean I know and I can make a good judgment on their motive or their story. And that's what Jesus is doing. What judgment does See, what we do when we judge is we separate. But more than that, when we judge, we are declaring another person irretrievably guilty. And the wisdom of Jesus is saying, you judge another person and you'll end up there yourself. They're guilty. And Jesus is saying, you are How you measure, it will be measured to you. And so the golden ruled follower of Jesus leaves judgment in the hands of the judge. And a scripture affirms this over and over again. If there's something we can spend a lot of time with this morning is showing in scripture again and again how it is the follower of Jesus' job to love and to serve and to proclaim and to point to the one who is the Savior. It is not our job to take his seat on the throne and become the judge. That's living on the roof. But let's go a little deeper. Because it's one thing just to say, well, do not judge. 
But if we go a little bit deeper, what we learn from this section of Scripture is number two, you cannot love and judge at the same time. You can't. This is what Jesus means by, don't you know you have a log or a plank in your own eye? This is what he's talking about when he says, how can you look at the speck or the piece of sawdust in your neighbor's eye while ignoring your own plank? He's being humorous. He's saying, that plank takes two hands to hold up. Why are you over there trying to mess with somebody else's eye? And when you're trying to do that, you're always knocking him in the head with your own plank. Right? You're always out there trying to hit him in the face with it. In other words, the plank requires two hands to hold, but it also requires two hands to remove. Look at the genius of Jesus here in verses 4 and 5. He says, how can you say to your brother, and I want you to notice the change that happens. He's not saying, don't help anybody else. But he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time you have a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite or you play actor. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, what he's saying is there is time to help others, but first take the plank out. Then you'll be a help. When you're trying to hold love and judgment up simultaneously, it's just hypocrisy. But when you do the work of dealing with your own sin and calling it out and being vulnerable enough, everybody in here this morning ought to walk around going, do you see my plank? (laughs) Right? When we do that hard work of actually being honest about our own sin, then God's grace gets to work. You're able to take it out. And then you have this ability to help brothers and sisters remove the smaller pieces of sin in their life. We know this truth. This is why those who are the best servants and ministers to the hurting and those whose families have been divorced or those who have previously walked through that. The best counselors and therapists in the world are those who have wrestled with their own hurt. It's why the best Christian leaders are not those who just know how to lead, but those who are willing to be led. I love this quote from Greg Boyd. He's a preacher in Minneapolis, and he says this. He says, you can't love and judge at the same time. And lean in here. This is great. It's impossible to ascribe unsurpassable value to others when you're using others to ascribe value to yourself. I think I need to read that again, right? It's impossible to ascribe unsurpassable value. In other words, God loves you. God died for you. God was sent his own son to the cross for you unsurpassable value to others when you are using others to ascribe worth to yourself. So a few months ago at one of our men's events, I think it was our men's supper, one of our younger guys at church, and I'm going to leave him anonymous, stood up in front of our men. We'd ask him to just share his story, and I kind of knew a little bit of his story, so I knew he was going to share sections of it and parts of it. But this young guy stood up that night and surprised me, and I'm still surprised by it. Not because of what he shared, but because of how he shared it. He stood up in front of a group of guys where he was probably one of the most, uh, I guess, age-wise, most immature age-wise in the room. 
And he stood up and shared a story of his mess-ups with incredible bravery. Parts of his story were foolish and dark. Things that not are easily admitted out loud. It was honest, it was raw. You could hear a pin drop in the room as he talked about it. And it wasn't the content, again, that amazed me. It was how he did it, because what he did, he didn't gloss over or bend the story to make himself look better. He simply said, here's who I've been, but here's who God has been to me. And he was able to share with the men that night transformation. And what I saw that night was the plank had been removed. God was in the room, and he was able, through his words, to help some other men get the solid stuff. That's what this teaching is. Is that when we learn that we can't hold love and judgment up at the same time, I get to hold on to the love of God, and then in the light of God's love, I get to work on taking the plank out of my own eye, and then I get to, in my love for my brothers and sisters, I get to live golden rules, and I get to help them their struggles as well. Finally, I want to share this one more thing that goes even deeper and connects the previous two. Discernment is not judgment. I'm sure we've got to watch those two. And you can't hold love and judgment at the same time. But the last thing that I think we need to learn is self-awareness is so much more transformative than the Christian commodity of self-righteousness. So when I was in college, I would go every afternoon for most of my four years to Oklahoma State to the Collins Center. That's our, that was the gym. I'd go work out about 4.30 p.m. And when I was working out, you know, in those rooms like that, big gyms like that, you can't help but see yourself in a mirror. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Even if you're humble and you don't want to see yourself in a mirror, you can't help it. And I wasn't humble. I was wanting to see myself in a mirror. But here's what would happen. I would go in there and I'd have my, you know, I didn't have sleeves on my shirt, so I'd do a few sets and I'd be like, hey. Right? See myself in the mirror. I'd be like, I'm looking pretty good, right? And then I'd go home and I'd shower and I'd go to get Allison. We were probably dating at the time. And I'd get dressed, and I'd, I'd go to pick her up, or we'd go hang out at her house, sleeves on this time, right? But as I walked out of my little rent house, I would catch one more glance in the mirror, and I'd think, I don't look near as good in, at the house as I did at the gym, right? Maybe it was that Twinkie I just ate, but something happened. Well, I looked this up. Have you ever wondered this? I've wondered, like, is it a trick mirror going on in the gym? And I learned this this week. It actually is. Salons and gyms and other places where you buy clothes, it's not a trick mirror. The mirror is actually telling the truth. But what they do is they turn the mirror just ever so slightly or they light the mirror just right so that you look really good when you've done that extra set of curls for the girls. Or, or when you try on that new dress or when you get that new haircut, and you go, man, this haircut looks good. And then you get home and go, what did she do? Right? Well, there's a turn of the mirror. A, a lighting is better. The angle 
is just a little bit different. And that, guys, is a great definition of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a turning ever so slightly of the mirror. You are righteous. Do you know that, church? But it is not your righteousness. Self-righteousness is a tilting of the angle towards the wrong person. You have been made clean and whole, but not by your effort. You have been made clean and whole and good and righteous by Christ. Paul says this very clearly in Romans 3, 22-24. He says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And this can read another way in the Greek, and I wish that the... I, I lean really heavily towards it being read this way. This righteousness is giving through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, are, and all are justified freely by the grace, by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, the cure for the subtle tilting of the mirror of self-righteousness is self-awareness. Not self-awareness of look at me, but self-awareness of I can't believe God would look at me. Self-awareness in the presence of God is the best practice of eliminating self-righteousness. And it leads us to being golden Because when I am aware of how much I have received, then I can shift my thinking towards how much others need to receive from me. We used to ask the question, and it was a good question, and we used to put it on bracelets. What would Jesus do? WWJD. I kind of miss those days when more of us were maybe asking that question. But the more I've thought about that question, I also think what Jesus would do is he would say, that's great asking me what I would do, but I think he would turn the question around and go, now as a kingdom subject, the question is not WWJD, it's WWYD. What would you do? That's what the golden rule is asking. It's asking us to be the kind of people who in light of what Jesus has done for us, To be the kind of people who grab the initiative and turn our hearts outward and say, whatever I want done for me, I'm going to take the first step and do it for other people. W-W-Y-D. I want to close, though, with this. I know we've started late and you're going a little late today. But I want to close with this thought for us. Jesus gives us this very sobering warning in Matthew 7 He tells us the measure you use will be measured to you. He's speaking of an ancient cubit measuring rod which would have been about like this. I quick went and just had to have, happened to have one in his shop. One by one. Looked almost exactly like this with markings. You can look it up, Google it. It came from Egypt. 
And out of Egypt, the Israelites took it with them, and the cubit became their standard of measure, about 18 inches for us. It's how they measured everything. It's how they measured off how to build. It's how they measured everything. And Jesus is referencing this. The length of the measuring rod you use of righteousness or how you judge other people will be what I use. That's a sobering thought. Because this one's 18 inches, but there was some that were out there that were 36 inches, and that one's this one. And then there were some out there that were six cubits long, so it was six of these. And that was long. And I'm sure this morning we have all kinds of different sizes of measuring rods in here, don't we? I hate to admit that some days mine, when I look at people that I should love and serve, starts with, I can't believe. Or will they always? Or that's just who they are. But guys, I want us to know this, because the measuring rod for the Christian has got to be the measuring rod that has already been used on us. Because God's measuring rod was two wooden sticks. It's a cross. And when he looked at every one of us, the measurement he used was his son. And what he's asking us to do today is to be transformed from the inside out where when we look at the world, it's not our job to judge, it's our job to say, there's a better way. There's a measuring stick. Quite a bit larger than this, but immeasurably more graceful than the ones we carry around. So I hope you hear that invitation this morning. If you don't know Jesus this morning, the call to follow him and why we teach baptism is it is a call to say, I don't want to be measured anymore by the things that I create. I want to be measured by the blood of Jesus. And when you're measured by the blood of Jesus, you're no longer measured and judged by the world. You're accepted by the one who forgives all sin to those who are willing to receive his invitation. So whatever you need this morning, let's be people who carry the cross, but let's also be people who let Jesus do that work in us. Let's stand together and sing.